We will be reading from the book of Deuteronomy, verses, or chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. I'll be reading from the NRSV translation. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you are about to cross into and occupy, so that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God with all the days of your life and keep all his decrees and all his commandments that I am commanding you, so that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently, so that it might go well with you, and so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord your God of your ancestors has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away and when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your foreheads and write them on the doorpost of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Hi. <laughs> I'm Betsy Stewart Dooley. I am your brand new associate pastor here at Boston Avenue. And yay! And I'm so excited to be here with y'all. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm coming to you from uh, Goodrich Memorial in Norman, Oklahoma with my husband and our little toddler daughter, both of whom are at home right now because as is the case when you move to a new town, your toddler gets sick. <laughs> um, and our two giant dogs, of course. Um, we're so excited to move here to Tulsa um, and to begin to do ministry with you and to walk with you and get to know all of you better. Uh, I am primarily working with congregational care in 13th Street Worship and already have had the joy and privilege to get to know many of you, and I can't wait to get to know all of you, as large of a task as that is. Now, you can imagine my excitement when um, our beloved leader, David, said, your first sermon to the congregation is going to be on racial justice. <laughs> Good. <laughs> to be fair, it is a topic that I am very passionate about, and I am very excited and humbled to come to a place that's willing to have that difficult conversation to talk about this hard topic. Not many would be willing to do that, but for my first sermon. <laughs> Don't worry, he said, I gave you the easy one. You get to talk about hope and love, and that is really great. And that is what we're going to explore together today, though I'm not quite as convinced that hope and love are all that easy. <laughs> the world would be a lot different if it were easy, right? But I think I'm getting ahead of myself. So I've been so impressed with how you have reacted to this difficult conversation. Race relations is a pretty difficult topic to tackle, especially in our particular setting. But you've met it with an openness to grow 
in God's grace and love, and may we continue to do so. Throughout this series, Reverend Wiggs has been affirming that all lives do matter to God, and because of this, we must be intentional about lifting up those whose lives have mattered less within our culture. He's been highlighting the various ways in which people of color experience bigotry and systemic injustices and ways in which we, as a people of faith, can stand in solidarity with our neighbors and Christian siblings to usher in more of Christ's transformative grace into our community. So undergirding all of this is a simple but profound theology. Love of God. It's simple because it's not that complicated. Love God. That's it. And yet, to love God is something that we don't necessarily do with ease, right? At least not without practice. If it were easy, then perhaps the greatest commandment, the Shema that we read this morning, wouldn't need to be posted to our foreheads and placed out in front of us as a constant reminder always around us. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Love God with everything you've got, basically. Right? Don't hold anything back from God. Suddenly, this starts to be a little bit more difficult, doesn't it? Our whole self is involved in this practice of loving God. But then, then Jesus comes along and adds to this discussion, and he makes it even harder. In Matthew 22, Jesus clarifies the greatest commandment that to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and he adds the second greatest commandment is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus is quoting from Leviticus here. Uh, the full verse says, Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. <laughs> usually, yeah, usually when you hear that, I am the Lord, it's like, because your mom said so, right? <laughs> but you see where Jesus is going with this, right? To love God is to love your neighbor. To love your neighbor is to love God. It's a bit of a chicken and the egg situation going on here, right? And theologians might argue about which one comes first. Now, I am newly graduate of seminary, so let me give you my, my formal answer to this question. Yes. <laughs> That's, I think, the correct theological response, or what I suspect to be, yes. So, what, which comes first, sorry. So we don't get to pick and choose who to love, right? We don't get to be stingy with our love. If we're to love God and to love people, that means that we don't get to be stingy. We don't get to hold back. We don't get to pick and choose who to love. We don't get to pretend like we don't notice that things are different for our friends of color. Uh-oh. 
We don't get to turn a blind eye to the injustices that are around us. To ignore that some lives matter less to our society is to say that they matter less to us. And to say that they matter less to us is to deny love for God. Uh Uh-oh. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in Luke's version of this story, someone comes along and asks a very important question. They ask, well, then who is our neighbor? (laughs) And I like this question. It's an important and a powerful question to ask, right? And and I'm nodding along, yes, if you're going to tell me that to love God is to love my neighbor, then who's my neighbor? Seems pretty important. And Jesus responds by telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. And many of you might be familiar or likely familiar with that story, but I'm going to give you the footnotes version of Jesus' response here. Jesus tells them that your neighbor is the person in front of you, the person who is hurting, the person who is injured, the person who is marginalized, the neglected, the ignored. That is your neighbor. But you know what stings about this question? Who is your neighbor? It's it's not so much that it's a question about who my neighbor is. Rather, it's a question about who my neighbor is not. And I think that's what bothers me about this question. The more I spend with it, Who can I leave out? Who can I get away with not loving? Who can I get away with not serving? Whose injustices do I get to ignore? If we weren't tempted to leave anyone out, then why would we even need to ask, who is my neighbor? Right? Now now we find ourselves in a bit of trouble, right? Almost every single one of us had somebody come to mind. There's people that I would very much like to get away with not loving in this world. At the very least, I'd like to ignore them. And yet, here's Jesus saying that if we're to love God, then we must love our neighbor as ourselves. We must honor that our neighbor's life is as precious and sacred as our very own. This is exactly what our siblings of color have been shouting to us, right? If we're going to say that all lives matter, then we have to say that black and brown lives matter. Their lives are just as precious as everyone else's. Who is my neighbor? Who do I include? Who do I ignore? So when I was in college, I went to college in Arkansas, and um, I had several different groups of close friends. And one of my groups of close friends um, was a group of, of black young men that were also in the religion department with me. We, this is my group of friends that I usually studied for all of my classes with. And one day, I was eating lunch with my friends in the commons, like you do, and one of them mentioned that they were invited to preach at another church in the northern part of the state, 
and they were giving details about this church and how excited they were to preach. And the locals, you know, at the table were listening and nodding along, you know, excited for their friend. Um, and then they paused the discussion to give him directions. Now, if I were to give directions to my hometown church, right, I'd probably tell you what uh, speed traps there are. Make sure you take this exit, not that exit, right? I'd tell you what roads or the locals know as good shortcuts. I might tell you which gas stations are the best to stop at for gas, what my favorite restaurants are. That's not what these directions were like, though. These were directions regarding their friend's safety. Be sure not to stop in such and such town, they said. It used to have a billboard out that told you that it was a sundown town, and they had to take it down a couple of years ago, but it still is. You can't stop there. Don't stop there for gas. Make sure that you leave the church by such and such time so that you can be through these particular towns on your way back so that you don't get, so that you're through them before it gets dark. Now, my, I lived a pretty sheltered life, and my lily-white brain just about exploded right then and there. I'd never heard such directions. Y'all, I'm not that old. I have a toddler. She's one and a half. This is not ancient history. And these words were not shared with anxiety. It was just a simple, matter-of-fact rules about how to navigate that part of the country. Now, if you hang around long enough with any groups of color, these conversations happen, and they happen routinely. Conversations about how to navigate our towns and communities safely happen all the time, and most of us who are white are never aware that there's another world that our friends of color walk through and navigate. We like to think that we live in the same world, but we don't. We should. That's the hope of the gospel. But it's not the world as it currently is. It is, however, the world that we are building as disciples of Jesus Christ. We've got a ways to go and some work to do, but this is the hope of our risen Lord. Who is my neighbor? This is why I say that this simple and profound commandment to love God is hard. It's so much easier to ignore the troubles that others face. It's so much easier to look away when we see injustices, especially when they conflict with our worldview, our politics, our ideology, what we know to be true, right? Who is my neighbor? It's something that we must constantly work on. And that, I believe, friends, is the good news. There is hope in that. See, this is the gospel right here. None of us were born perfected in love. I wasn't born perfected in love. David wasn't. Not even Joel. <laughs> right? But we have been gifted the capacity to grow in love, that gift of grace. 
The world is not as it should be, but it can be. It can be. There are injustices around every corner, and the prophets cry out, let justice roll down like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And then Jesus arrives in such a cry, his very life, death, and resurrection and defiance of injustices everywhere, and to this we are called. To this fountain of living water, of justice, of life. These are the building blocks of the world God is making in us. This is good news. It doesn't have to be this way. We are all on this journey towards that worthy goal to love God with all we've got, right? I have fallen short, you've fallen short, we all have fallen short. We're all works in progress. So yes, many of us, and by us I mean myself, have ingrained biases. Many of us, including myself, have grown up in a society that has taught us to subconsciously value black and brown bodies less than white ones. White supremacy is a deeply rooted sin. It's insidious. And it's not going to go away by ignoring it or wishing it away. Instead, God's love calls us to examine it in ourselves and the world around us. Because if we're going to be good neighbors, then we have to do this work. If we're going to love our neighbors, then we have to confront this. If we are going to love God, we have to do this work. It begins with us listening to our neighbors, understanding the needs in our community and stopping the harms being waged against them. The gospel is good news because it teaches us that change is possible. It gives us hope that the world is not as it should be and it can be something better. It's good news because it empowers us through the grace of our risen Lord to make something better. It is hard, but it is so, so good. Amen? So good. And here is the grace. Here is the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been given the grace to do what is right to make the world as it should be, to do justice. Christ's very life was a master class in how to love our neighbors, or rather, how to be a good neighbor, right? When we live as Christ taught us to, by loving our neighbors, seeking justice, feeding the hungry, giving dignity to the marginalized, we make it on earth as it is in heaven, and amen, hallelujah, isn't that what we want to do? Now, we can do this through all the different challenges that David has given us this month, right? The first week, he asked us to listen and learn from someone different from yourselves. I hope that this has been a practice that we've been doing all month long. Pray the prayer of St. Francis every single day as a spiritual practice in your life. And let me just tell you that these kind of spiritual practices really are transformative. Participate in the life of the church and create welcoming spaces with the Love Live Here sign, right? And get involved in cross-cultural ministries such as the Smile of Faith, 
working alongside those who are different from yourselves in communities that you are unfamiliar with. So here is your final challenge. Speak up and keep growing. Okay, I want you to listen to this very clearly, very, very carefully. It is not incumbent upon those who are marginalized in society to justify their own existence. That is the work that belongs to those who already have a seat at the table. Your challenge is to speak up when you encounter racism and injustice in our communities. Call it out. And if it's called out in you, it's been called out in me before, and it stung. It hurt. Listen. This is a moment for the Spirit to draw you deeper into your faith, to draw you deeper as a disciple, to grow. Next, continue this journey. This is not something we can cover in a month-long process. This is a lifelong work that we're doing. So keep growing, keep trying. There's going to be some great books and movies, a list of them that we're going to put together uh, for you um, that will be out in front of you. And I encourage you to pick one of those and to keep growing, keep studying, keep learning. Challenge yourself. Because if we're going to make it on earth as it is in heaven, then we must love our neighbor as ourselves. See, God's vision for the world is one of peace, where all are welcome to the same table to eat the same feast. And Lord, let it begin in us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we know that the world is not as it should be, and we are not yet as we should be either. But this we know with confidence. You are faithful, you are love, and by your Son, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, this world will be transformed. And may it begin in us, O Lord. Convict us when we fall short, and by your grace, redeem our failures, that your living testimony may be found in us. Make it on earth as it is in heaven, O Lord, by helping us to be disciples that you have called us to be. Amen.